Welcome back to the Sports Medicine Orthopod. My name is Anthony Yu. I'm joined by two fantastic guests, two great friends, Andrew Burleson, sports doc out of Beacon Ortho in Cincinnati, regular on the show, and a familiar face as well, Dr. Harold Fogel, spine expert, orthopedic spine surgeon from Mass General. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. We're in a really good mood this week. Rocking my Jim Harbaugh Michigan hat. Obviously, big Michigan win over Ohio State. So, in a good mood right now. Have you come down from cloud nine, or are you still just way up there? No, no. I, it's been a long time since we beat Ohio State. I'm going to be on cloud nine for a long time. I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> this is actually the show, just to give Harold an excuse to come on here and gloat about his alma mater. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's it. Uh, we, we got a unique show because as much as we've encouraged our large audience to communicate with us and ask questions about injuries they might be interested in, um, we haven't got a lot of chatter, but we did actually a week or so ago uh, from uh, Skywise who tweeted at us, hey, at Sports Orthopods, can you do an episode on NHL player Jack Eichel regarding number one, artificial cervical disc replacement? Number two, the effect of having to wait months before getting surgery because the team wanted fusion. And number three, your thought or thoughts in this case on the NHL collective bargaining agreement, giving the team final approval. And so full disclosure, I'm not much of a hockey expert um, and it's certainly not an expert on collective bargaining agreements. I think you guys uh, can say the same, but I instantly thought, Harold, cervical disc replacement, that's something I know nothing about, you know a lot about. and um you know this issue with the collective bargaining agreement and where the power lies in terms of medical decision making applies really to all of us as doctors but particularly drew i think you'll have some good insight as somebody who covers the cincinnati reds as a major league baseball team you know not the nhl but you cover a professional sports team and so to hear about you know your thoughts your experience with the mlb and how that differs from the nhl i thought would be interesting so you know we, we've really got scientific and ethical dilemmas um packed into this one story which is really interesting actually and you know as nhl fans and fans will know jack eichel is a great player um he had some sort of cervical spine injury which we'll ask harold about in a, in, in a moment um he wanted a particular surgery for this but his team physician recommended a different surgery. And according to the NHL collective bargaining agreement, actually the final decision-making power lies with the uh, team medical staff. And so again, I don't know a whole lot about Jack Eichel's career. And I think there were some other uh, factors at play, but eventually he ends up getting traded to Las Vegas and then ends up getting the disc replacement surgery he had uh, sought after for, in the first place. And so. Harold, I know you've researched this as we've been talking about putting the show together over the last few days and weeks. Like, let's start with the basics. What, what was the diagnosis for Jack Eichel? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you you put it perfectly. This is a a good topic for both kind of medical slash scientific reasons, but all, but also ethical uh, reasons. And so, a lot for us to unpack. And just as a, a full disclosure for myself. Even though I work at a hospital where some of my colleagues take care of professional sports teams, I myself do not have any affiliation with them. So, you know, I'm not speaking as a team doctor, but 
I will uh, speak as a spine surgeon, one that performs both uh, a cervical anterior cervical fusion and a cervical disc replacement. So let me just kind of like unpack that a little bit in terms of like what the two surgeries are and, and when you would receive them. So the two surgeries in question uh, are one is a fusion and we'll refer to that as a ACDF. So those four letters stand for anterior, that means going through the front, cervical, that's the neck, discectomy, that's where you remove the disc, and then fusion, that's where you want the two bones in the neck to heal and fuse together, all right? So the ACDF is a very, very common surgery uh, done uh, in the cervical spine. Spine surgeons have been doing it for decades and decades, 50, 60 plus years, and for a long time, it's been the gold standard for treating patients uh, with their cervical spine. Um, so again, you access it through the neck. You can also do surgery through the back of the neck, but in a lot of uh, situations, it's, it's more ideal to go through the front. So the, the fusion surgery for a long time has been uh, considered the gold standard. And you know maybe 30 years ago, this would have been the no-brainer for Eichel to, to have this surgery. You know, the assumption here, and again, I'm speaking as someone that has not treated Eichel, I, I haven't seen its imaging, but the assumption is as a young uh, person that he probably just had a disc herniation in his neck. And when the disc herniates, it herniates backwards and that's where the nerves are. And so whether it puts pressure on the spinal cord or more commonly just one of the nerve roots, that can cause pain and discomfort, maybe some numbness, maybe even actually some weakness down the arm and into the hand. Uh, so, you know, that, that was probably the diagnosis that, that Eichel had, where he had these symptoms. He had an X-ray, an MRI, maybe even a CT scan done of his neck, and he was diagnosed with the disc herniation that was putting pressure on the nerve and causing the symptoms. So that was the most likely scenario of what was going on here. And I said 30 years ago, the fusion surgery would have been the no-brainer, straightforward answer. Uh, but, you know, about 20 or so years ago, a cervical disc replacement became a, a reliable treatment option for patients. And, you know, the cervical disc, disc replacement was something that they had tried to, to come up with starting in the 60s. Uh, but there were a lot of complications with the original designs. And it wasn't until kind of the turn of the century when the newer models came out. And these newer models have proven to be both safe and effective and have been uh, found to be a good alternative surgery to the fusion surgery when operating on patients through the front of the neck. So this is kind of like the crossroads then that, that Eichel was at where he needed surgery, it was recommended surgery, presumably for a disc herniation, and he was deciding between the fusion surgery or the disc replacement. So now, while we're setting the kind of the stage here for those two surgical options, I think it's important to understand the difference between the two and why you would have one surgery over another. And let me just kind of broadly say that everyone is a, is a candidate for the fusion surgery, for the ACDF. I mean, patients of all ages, right? The fusion surgery is a good option for them. However, the disc replacement uh, surgery is not an option for everybody. This is a surgery that's typically reserved for younger patients that don't have a lot of arthritis in their neck, that they usually just have, perhaps as in Eichel's case, just a disc herniation that simply needs to be removed. 
Now, the advantage to the disc replacement, of course, is that it maintains mobility at that level. So if I have a disc herniation at the, let's say, the C6 level, which is a very common level to get a disc herniation at, I would go in, I would remove that disc herniation, but instead of doing the fusion surgery as you would in the ACDF, you implant the disc replacement and you maintain that motion at that level. So that's what Eichel wanted. And there have been some really good uh, scientific papers that showed that there's some um, uh, decrease, uh, what we call adjacent segment disease uh, after a disc replacement compared to the fusion surgery. Because when you do the fusion surgery, it uh, can put some additional biomechanical stress on that next level and can lead to earlier degeneration. So this was Eichel's kind of perspective in all this. He, he's, he knows he needs to have this surgery. It's been recommended this surgery. He doesn't want to have to risk having this adjacent segment disease that is more likely based on their literature with the fusion surgery compared to the disc replacement. So he did his research. He talked to some doctors. And he said, for myself as a young male, I want to have a disc replacement surgery instead of the fusion because this potentially would be the best surgery for me for the long term. And so that's kind of where he was, where he chose uh, to have the disc replacement surgery instead of the fusion. Explain that one more time on sort of the science with this adjacent segment disease. So, you know, there is some, there's motion in between the vertebrae and the discs that lay in between them in the neck and in the segments of the spine in general. So if you fuse a couple segments together, that's gonna to take the motion away, right? The fusion is actually just like making it one solid mass. You take the, fusion, you take the motion away, and then how does that sort of uh, increase the stress for the, the remaining normal levels above and below that, that now fused segment? Yeah, no, absolutely. And as, as you accurately described, is that in, in both surgeries, the first half of the surgery is taking the disc out and removing that disc herniation that's putting pressure on the nerve. The second half of the surgery and where the two surgeries differ is what do you put in that place of that disc that you just removed? So in the fusion, you're putting bone graft and those bones are eventually going to unite. That's the bone healing process or the fusion. And then you, instead of having motion as you did before the surgery, that segment's fused. And so you have decreased motion at that level. And because you have decreased motion at that level, that can theoretically put more stress, more biomechanical stress on the next level above or below it, because you're now trying to maintain the same amount of motion with fewer levels. So that's the additional stress that these levels can see and can potentially break down at a faster rate. And that's the adjacent segment degeneration or adjacent segment disease. With the disc replacement, you're maintaining that motion. So you're not getting that additional stress on the next level. And so therefore the, the science papers have shown that there's a lower incidence of adjacent segment disease compared to the fusion surgery. And so someone like Eichel would want to have that surgery done compared to the fusion. So sounds reasonable, right? Like you said, there's evidence behind it. The disc replacement works. It may be better for preservation in the long run. So what's the problem? Why the controversy? Why would a, you know, probably reasonable doctor, you'd assume that the Buffalo Sabres have excellent medical staff with people who are experts in this field. Why would they recommend the fusion instead? Right. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the issue at hand here. 
And, and the variable that makes this such an issue is who Eichel is, what he does for a living, right? He He's not like the three of us doing surgery, maybe casually going on our Peloton, doing some you know, exercises or weightlifting <laughs> here and there. Eichel's a professional hockey player. This guy subjects his body to some of the hardest hits, some of the greatest forces that any human being is ever going to see, right? Uh, he is being slammed up against the boards. He's diving across the ice, just really throwing his body in so many different directions. And the thing is that we don't really know that much of like what, how well a disc replacement can hold up against those forces. Yes, of course, these, these implants are tested in a lab. They go through all these thousands and thousands of cycles of kind of normal neck motion just to see how it would maintain over a potential lifetime or at least decades. But it, you don't really test these to, you know, in the human body or the neck of a professional hockey player. And so one of the very rare complications of a disc replacement that you don't see in, in the fusion surgery is the disc replacement can dislodge, right? There's still motion at that level. And so if it dislodges and if it dislodges either forward or backwards, it can hit some really important structures, including the nerves in the back of the, of this, or in the, back of the disc. And you can imagine if this material hits one of the one of the nerves or even the spinal cord, it can have catastrophic consequence consequences for him with it was some very, very significant neurologic injury. So that's really the issue here is is this professional hockey player the right person to get a disc replacement due to the potential risk that could happen if he gets injured or hit the wrong way? Yeah, and the answer is we don't know. You and I have both looked at the literature. You can share with the audience. Has an NHL player, to our knowledge, had this surgery before? Yeah, yeah. To our knowledge, no. Like a professional hockey player has not had this surgery done. Um, I'm not aware of a professional football player, for example. We all do know that Peyton Manning had cervical spine surgery. He had the fusion surgery ultimately, so he went back to play, and you know there wasn't the same concern with the fusion surgery as one would have with the disc replacement. So. It was done really without a lot of controversy, and he came back to play. But yeah, there's no contact, like high contact athlete that we're aware of in professional sports that has had this done. Now, there are maybe kind of like those few, you know, rare examples in other sports that, you know, you know, you if you want to like give examples to that have had these done, but otherwise there's not really much for comparison. Yeah, I think the one we've heard, and again, we don't know his medical history exactly, but we've heard it reported that Chris Weidman from UFC um, had had the disc replacement, and that's obviously high contact. But um, yes, you know, to, to to the point we're making, he he would be a pioneer, I guess, so to speak, in terms of a professional hockey player getting getting this surgery. Um, let's just take it back to the uh, original Skywise tweet. So I think you've covered number one very well. Let's just cover number two uh, briefly, which is, do you think there's an effect between waiting, uh, getting the surgery after he had to kind of deal with the drama, with the team getting traded, and then eventually getting the surgery? Is there any downside? Probably not. Now, I mean, in, in rare circumstances, if someone has pretty profound <laughs> neurologic deficits, meaning if they have a lot of weakness in their arm from the pressure on the nerve root, or maybe even the spinal cord itself, that would be more of a time-sensitive matter. 
but you know, if it was simply, and I'm doing that with air quotes because I don't mean to undermine a, a patient's symptoms by any means, but if it was more of just like a like a, a pain or a numbness type of, of issue, it's not as time sensitive. So in this case, you know, to Ico, it was most important to him to have the disc replacement over the fusion. And that's why he held out and ultimately waited to be traded to a team where he could have the surgery of his choice performed. Yeah, we hope it works out. And, um, you know, he, uh, like I said, he may be the pioneer where this becomes more of an acceptable treatment option, uh, but, but, but we'll see. All right, time to bring in the big gun, and that is Dr. Andrew, Ohio Place for Keeps Burleson. Um, so, you know, Drew and, and Harold also, you know, the, this collective bargaining agreement from the NHL, like we said, it, it ultimately places the decision-making uh, in the hands of the team's medical staff. And that really runs counter to a foundational principle of medicine, which is patient autonomy something that has been drilled into us during our medical training, something that's existed in what we consider modern medicine, um, really, really from the start. And Jack Eichel is a superstar hockey player, but ultimately he's a patient in this scenario. So, you know, Drew, what, what did you think when you first heard this story, when you were reading the, the articles about it? I mean, well, first of all, I mean, I can't believe I've had to sit here for 17 minutes and hear miracles. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my God, I, it reminded me like this, this like a vice presidential debate, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, where the, <laughs> the older gentleman was like, sorry, I, I turned, um, kind of unplugging my AirPods. Um, anyway, <laughs> we know you love spine and wish you did it. It's okay. <laughs> oh, but it, <laughs> Question was, you know, what, what, what was your first reaction um, when you first heard this? I mean, I, I'll tell you from, from my perspective, I, my first thought was this cannot be true. Um, and then you read a bunch of articles and you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to read the collective bargaining agreement. I just don't have the wherewithal to do that. But, you know, multiple news outlets are saying this is true, that the NHL has placed the ultimate decision-making power for medical decisions in the team's hand. And we should just pause for one second to say, why would that they allow that? Because they are not like us. These are people who get paid a lot of money, uh, a huge investment from a professional sports team to go out and play sports. And so um, there is a financial component riding on that patient's health. So the team has an investment in that. It doesn't, in most cases, seem to matter in terms of professional sports, but in the NHL, it does in terms of where the decision-making is placed. So yeah, Drew, question to you again. What, what did you think about that? So, I mean, I, first you have to kind of let everybody understand what the role of the team physician is. Um, and then just dispel like any rumors or any, any stereotypes that are out there. I mean, I think that the, the biggest stereotype out there is that people who watch any given Sunday and you have the team physician who's making decisions based on what the best interest of the team is and is in the pocket of the team and basically doing things that aren't necessarily in the best interest of the player. That is, could not be any further from the truth. I mean, again, like anybody, you can imagine any movie, if, if anybody has a profession that a movie or TV show has been made about, you understand how inaccurate those roles are. Um, there, for one, the, the, the team physician isn't 
technically employed by the, the team itself um, for all intents and purposes. They have their own practice where they make a living off of that. There are people who like the, the, the medical director of a team who do get paid from the team, but I mean, it's a fraction of what you're getting paid from your normal career. Uh, so again, like the, the the thought that a physician would be doing making medical decisions based on what the best interest of the team is, as opposed to the patient or the player at that time, I think is completely inaccurate. So again, like I don't think that the, even hearing this scenario, I don't think for one second that the, the physician who recommended the ACDF was doing this because of any influence from the team. I think that the, he felt he or she thought that this was the absolute best surgery for Jack Eichel, and that's why they were recommending this. Um, so, I mean, it, it is surprising um, in the sense that, again, like your, your goal, I mean, you're, you're, as, as the physician, even though the collective bargaining agreement says that the final decision-making is with the team itself, usually the, the goals of the team as well as the player usually align pretty well. You know, very rarely controversial surgeries like this where one would be steadfast and wanting one thing or where the other person would be on the complete opposite, not opposite of the spectrum, but uh, suggesting a completely different surgery. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a, little, a little surprising to me, but again, I, I guess like I, I, I'm not an expert like Dr. Fogel is about cervical disc arthroplasty, um, um, but I mean, uh, again, it's, it, it is a little bit surprising whenever you have something that, that especially that goes on for so long and like the surgery would actually be delayed and end up in, in a trade in order for the player to have the surgery that again, and, most, I mean, in theory, I mean, that we all should have the autonomy over our own medical care. Yeah, you bring up a good point, and this goes back to what Harold was saying. To recommend ACDF is not out of, it's not off the wall, right? Like, that's a standard treatment. So it's not like this doctor's out here, this, the Sabres spine specialist, whoever that may be, is telling him to do something just like crazy. Um, that's a, a standard accepted treatment. Um, if anything, Jack Eichel's seeking something that's a little bit more. I, I don't want to say experimental, but, you know, not something that's not routinely done in the NHL, obviously. So um, it, it's not like it's something totally out of left field. You know, let, let's follow it up, Drew. You cover the Cincinnati Reds. Is this how the Major League Baseball world works? Do pay, do the players have the autonomy or do the does the team's medical staff? So the players have the autonomy. Um, Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, I mean, they have the autonomy to seek out second opinions have surgeries with whoever they want. Um, if they, again, if, if the one, the team surgeon recommends one surgery, they get a second opinion and to feel more comfortable with another one. They have the, they ultimately have the, the final decision-making in regards to what course of treatment they decide to proceed with. Yeah. And this happens all the time right now. Drew did his training at one of the most famous, if not the most famous sports medicine fellowship in the world, Curl and Job clinic. And a few of his mentors, they operate on people across all uh, sports leagues, NFL, MLB, NBA. Um, there's a handful of surgeons that do a lot of surgery on the highest level athletes. Uh, and, and that speaks to that, right? That wouldn't be the case if ultimately, you know, the team physicians for these different leagues were, were making the final call. So that, that's just sort of evidence that, you know, if everybody's going to these handful of guys uh, and, and, and ladies to do surgery, uh, particular types of orthopedic surgery, that just shows you that the patients do have choice in, in, in where they want to go. Um, you brought up another good point, and that is that this probably is not an issue for most of the cases because typically the goals of the team and the player align, particularly if there's a gold standard treatment 
to, to address a particular injury. So ACL tear, the gold standard treatment is ACL reconstruction. If Jack Eichel tears his ACL, he's not arguing with the Buffalo Sabres team doctor about getting his ACL reconstructed, right? But that's not always the case. Like this is, you know, one of these cases where there may be a little bit of a gray area. And in baseball, what, what have you seen as like those types of uh, kind of, I don't want to say battleground uh, injuries, but where it may be not as clean cut, maybe not as clear as what the treatment should be. I mean, I think if there's one thing that people in general who aren't in medicine have began to realize over the course of the last couple of years is that medicine is not black and white at all. I mean, I think that's like where so much of the confusion comes in. Again, bringing back to COVID, I mean, like there's so, it, you don't know like one way or the other a lot of times, like this is absolutely the correct answer and this is the wrong answer. There's, there's a lot of things where there is some gray area and you have to look at a bunch of different variables and figure out exactly what the right thing for the, the specific patient is. Um, I mean, but you, you do, you see that with all kinds of diagnoses. I mean, with baseball in particular, I mean, for example, you think about Tommy John surgery. And so what that is, is you have a ligament on the inside part of the elbow that tears in these major league pitchers. And the, I guess you would say gold standard for this is to reconstruct that. So we've talked about this before. Reconstructing means you take a graft or tissue from another part of the body and you, you make a new ligament out of that. There's another way where people fix these and they take the native ligament itself, they sew it back down. Sometimes they put some type of augmented fixation with a very high tensile suture in there. But I mean, those are two options. Sometimes, or you could even talk about injecting orthobiologics, like something like PRP. Um, those are, again, like there's a lot of different options where that where you can treat it either one of those ways. And again, you have to weigh the, the risks and the benefit of all those. And a lot of these players, you got to think, I mean, like, th th this is their livelihood at stake, and they're making a lot of money. Um, so, I mean, it behooves them to get multiple opinions. I mean, sometimes it's not even just one or two. They're getting three or four. Or even if they're not actually going to see this physician, they're sending their, their records and their um, imaging to different physicians to get different differing opinions on it. I mean, that's just one example. But, I mean, like, there's all, all kinds of things, like labral tears in the shoulder. I mean, like, again, there's, there's multiple ways you can treat these. Um, and, again, I think that the player has to figure out you know, what they feel like the best uh, option is for them. Yeah. Um, like we said, when, when the treatment decision is clear cut, there's a gold standard way to treat it. It's simple, but as you've said, you know, we're still figuring a lot of these things out. And so in this case with the cervical disc herniation, there's a few ways to, to treat it. Right. And, um, uh, we wish Jack Eichel the best and hopefully it works out and it's, it's the right decision medically for him. And, We'll stay tuned. All right, guys, really good to see you. Harold, we'll give you a minute to, um, you know, brag about Michigan and talk about uh, where they're <laughs> going to end up at the end of this college football season. Go for it. Yeah. All right. Well, and if you want, if you want to work in, if you want to work in some Jordan Poole love for me, the Golden State Warrior fan, I'm totally fine with that as well. Hey, hey, man, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll throw some love to Wolverine anywhere, no matter what sport or team they play. Uh, yeah. No, obviously. You know, Drew, you're a Michigan fan. You can, I know you appreciate this too. Um, big win over Ohio State. Got Iowa this weekend in the Big Ten Championship. But man, talk about college football. How crazy! You know, the coaching carousel is right now. We were all texting last night about the shocking news about Brian Kelly. You know, and the downstream effects that's going to have on recruits across the country. Whether they stick with him, they stick with Notre Dame, or just kind of reopen their search. So. Uh, 
A lot of fun, exciting times in college football right now, especially because Michigan's finally in the mix for the college football playoff. Yeah, yeah I know. I've been a diehard, like, you know, Cleveland Browns fan, Cleveland Cavs fan. When it comes to college football, my, my dad went to school in Michigan when I was growing up, so I've always been a Michigan fan. Actually, my, my brother-in-law played football at Ohio State, though, and I was watching the game with him this past Saturday, so I couldn't I couldn't really uh, – I, I couldn't cheer <laughs> at risk of offending him. But, I mean, I would say uh, inside I was very happy. Uh, I just got to – Saturday, though. Yeah. Right. I'll In your mind, you were, like, fist-pumping. Yeah. Happy holidays. Yeah, you got to be careful. Otherwise, you're going to be getting a cervical disc replacement, you know, if your brother-in-law <laughs> comes at you the wrong way. <laughs> Harold usually we FaceTime him at night so he can we can celebrate Hanukkah with him. I mean, I'm not Jewish, but I mean we still we celebrate in this household. My daughter loves Hanukkah, and so we like the we like the menorah every night. That's right. Hey, Happy Hanukkah. third night of Hanukkah. That's right. <laughs> this is the part of the show where the audience says, "Just stick to the orthopedic surgery, guys." Uh, and that's an excellent segue to say, please, audience, subscribe and like and leave us comments. And thank you to Skywise for tweeting at us. Uh, this was a fascinating story. I'm glad we looked into it. Um, even though we're not really big hockey guys, it's certainly not collective bargaining agreement uh, experts, but uh, th this was really an interesting story. So happy holidays to all. Really good to see you boys. We'll catch you next time. See you guys. See ya. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, please subscribe, like, and share. And we love to hear from you. If you have a question about today's show or you, a loved one, or maybe your favorite athlete has sustained a sports medicine injury that you would like to know more about, please reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or email. And stay tuned for more exciting content from the Sports Medicine Orthopod. Thanks again.